May only truth be offered here this day, and may only truth be received in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So I'm, I'm always uh, a little bit nervous when I preach. Whenever I tell people that, they're like, really? Uh, I, I am, because I take it seriously. But I'm a little more nervous than usual today, because today I am offering this sermon in front of a man who has been a mentor for me for most of my life. Father Glenn Kent is with us today, has probably forgotten... He's probably forgotten more about preaching than I will ever know. I learned a great deal from Glenn about what it is to be a priest. So I guess if you need to blame someone, you can blame him. Glenn, it is good to have you along with your beloved wife, Glenda, here in this congregation today. And I do hope that this is the first of many times we will see you here. But today, my friends, I'm going to break one of those old taboos that we are taught at a very early age. So brace yourselves. We've all heard that in polite society, we should never, ever discuss religion and politics. Right? Oh, you never talk about religion or politics. Well, guess what? Today, I'm going to talk about both. Uh, you see, I think we have a difficult time talking about religion and politics because we have been taught not to. It's time to change that. In order to talk about your faith, you need to be able to talk about your religion. In order for your faith to impact your whole life, you need to know how to connect your religion to your politics. So it's as comfortable as it is to talk about politics. Here we go. <laughs> Strap in. A couple of days ago, one of the candidates in my riding came knocking at my door to ask me for my vote. Now, of course, we're in the middle of a federal election, and I've been, in uh, you know, I've been anticipating uh, such knocks on, our, on my door, so I have prepared some questions. <laughs> I ask all the questions, all, all the candidates, anybody who comes to my door who's seeking my vote, I ask them the same questions so that I can best judge who may deserve my vote. And one of those questions that I ask, and I have quite a long list, how are you and your party going to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and respect, sustain, and renew the face of of the earth. It's one of our baptismal promises. It's within the covenant that we make at our baptism. And I ask them that question. Now, none of the candidates thus far have given me a straight answer to that question. Not even the green candidate has given me a straight answer to that question. But then again, what are you going to do? They're politicians. So I push back a little. And I tell them that until we work harder to eliminate greed, we will continue our way toward global destruction. Or until we make it so that large corporations can make huge sums of money from safeguarding creation, we will continue to fall toward desolation. 
So often we try to blame God for the problems of the world because we don't want to accept the one most difficult truth that we are responsible for most of the problems in the world. Thus we say that God is doing this as a punishment, that God is judging us here and now. And in Jeremiah this morning we hear the voice of God passing judgment upon the people of Jerusalem. And you remember, did you hear what, 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 what God calls the people of Jerusalem? I'll remind you. He called them foolish, stupid children, people without understanding, skilled in doing evil. Look, when Jeremiah calls you out, he does not mince words. The truth flows from the words on the page and are proclaimed abroad to the people. What Jeremiah is doing, though, is is showing the people that because of their foolish stupidity and evil ways, they have brought the downfall of their nation upon themselves. My friends, no truer words can come to us at this time in our history, in our culture, in our society, than the words that Jeremiah urges us to hear. Listen again. Listen through the ears, though, of our time to these words. I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no one at all, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all the cities laid in ruins. The whole land shall be a desolation. Can it be that Jeremiah is talking to us now, here, to the people of the 21st century? Because this is the picture we are hurtling headlong toward if we continue to use and abuse the creation that has been entrusted to us by God. But Elliot, you ask, how am I going to make a difference? I'm only one person. I only have one vote. I can't do much with that. And that's an excellent question, but to that I say never, ever underestimate the power of one person with one vote. Also, this is exactly where our religion should connect to our politics. For God, the least likely person is the one who gets the job done. For God, the underdog is the hero. For God, one person is enough to change the world. Look at what Jesus says to us today. Today we hear the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. If ever we needed to hear these words, it's now. We need to read these parables correctly, though. Now, the traditional reading of these parables is to see God as that which is lost, and we are the ones who are frantically searching for that which is lost. And then when we find God, we have joy. But that interpretation falls short. It is not, my favorite word, astonishing. What if we read it this way? We, humanity, both as individuals and as a group, we are that which is lost. We are the sheep. We are the coin. And God is searching for us. God is prepared to tear heaven and earth apart 
looking for us. God yearns to find us. God will sacrifice all to be with us, to love us, and to embrace us. But we hide ourselves. We hide ourselves so well from God by the choices that we make. However, no matter how deep we hide ourselves, God will never stop looking for us. Then, when, we, when at last we turn around, when at last we repent and allow God to find us, it is then that God will rejoice along with all of creation. So yes, my friends, we make poor choices. We allow things like greed and power to influence how we interact in this world. And God loves us. Thus, in the face of the current problems that we have inflicted upon ourselves, we cannot simply throw our hands up in despair because we have promised to do better. God will never despair of finding us because in the end, God loves us no matter what. There is nothing we can do that will make God stop loving us. We can overcome the despair by repenting, by turning around, by putting our faith, our trust, and actions into the hands of God. How? By living the life we have promised to live and enacting our political will by bringing our baptismal covenant with us to the ballot box. We do it in such a way as to demand of those in power better better than greed, better than the desire for growth at all costs. We can be the agents of God who enact the divine will. We can go out and search for the lost, lift them up, empower them with the knowledge that God loves them and loves us all. We can choose to make our baptismal promises what drives our lives, our whole lives. And then, my friends, oh, then, my friends, if we can do that, the kingdom, the kingdom will break out all over the place. Amen. Amen. Amen.